Grace, the Amy Santiago of Royal Bloggers. And I'm Jessica, the Dorothy's Borinaf of Royal Bloggers. And we'd like to welcome you to On Air, the podcast where two cynical Brits discuss the latest royal news and the truth behind the story. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the On Air podcast. So we thought this is a brilliant time to dive into a topic that happened kind of when we were on our break, possibly a bit controversial, been discussed by a wide range of people and might have some political implications. Are you deliberately misleading people, Grace? Maybe I am. We just need to hook them in. If it, ca- it counts towards our listening figures if we get like 10 seconds. So we're just hooking you in. <laughs> Everyone's going to be going, ooh. Obviously, we're talking about the, the main topic of the recent situation regarding the Thai royal family. Of course. Obviously. Who else would people think? <laughs> Specifically, we're going to be talking about Princess Bajra Kitiyaba. Yapa, sorry. Um, and she is known in Thailand as Pa or Mpa, so I'm going to call her Pa throughout. Pa is the 44-year-old daughter of the King of Thailand. On the 14th of December, um, she collapsed while she was out walking her dogs. She was in a northern region of Thailand uh, training for a sort of dog event, Um, and she was uh, very ill. She was transferred to a hospital in Bangkok, And the royal household are very vague and unhelpful with their statements, but they've given us a couple of statements over the last few weeks. The most recent one on the 9th of January essentially said that she had heart problems, so um, cardiac arrhythmia and pneumonia infection. And they said that since she collapsed in mid-December, she has not yet regained consciousness and she is on machines to support her heart, lung and kidney. And so we're going to talk a little bit about that situation and then also kind of the wider implications of Pa's health and some other historical situations that are similar or, yeah, um, I think that's a good summary of what we're doing, is it? I think that's a great summary. It's cool. We, yeah, we had the information from the palace, but... As always in royal circles, it wasn't quite that straightforward because we kind of got that news second. And the first news we got was from um, news outlets, um, which probably came out a couple of days before the official first official statement from the sort of Thai government, um, which went kind of straight in with um, Barr is seriously ill in hospital in a critical life-threatening condition um and it went straight in with that and we didn't hear anything from Thailand for a few days and then they released their first statement and kind of all the way through even up until this point the there have been uh, reports from news outlets that have come out a few days before the official Thai releases that have also been a lot more negative they've sounded a lot less hopeful for the future um and they seem to be suggesting that Barr is um, brain dead she has been since she collapsed and there's not really any hope for her if you go back and listen to our episode cones of power which is my favorite episode we've done to date thailand is not we talked in that episode about how thailand is not your average monarchy so thailand keeps p- 
power the, the monarchy through the uh, close ties with the military dictatorship. And there are very strict and enforced rules around what people can and can't say about the monarchy in, in public. So if somebody criticizes the monarchy or says something that the monarchy doesn't like, they can be arrested um, and um, there are very serious consequences. The authorities in Thailand pretty much are difficult to trust. And when it's a story about somebody's health, that even, you know, and, and every monarchy is difficult to trust when it's about, they're always <laughs> a bit circumspect when it comes to royals' health. Um, I think it's particularly, you know, there's immediately a thing of like, okay, well, what is actually going on? So you read the Thai statement and then you go, okay, well, what's really happening? And there have been some very brave journalists who have um, said that essentially she is dead um, and she has been dead since mid-December. And these journalists are well-placed. They, um, One of them in particular announced the death of the last king a few hours before the Thai royal family announced it. So, you know, he, he's, he's got a record of being right. Um, and what essentially what, it's, what the, these journalists are saying is the real story is that she has, she's brainstem dead. So that's a, that's a complicated thing, I think, for some people, because technically she's if you went to her hospital room she might be breathing um she might look like she's alive but if your brainstem dead essentially you're never gonna you're never gonna wake up you are you're dead you are being kept alive artificially by machines and um that is believed to be what the reality of the situation is is that she's she's effectively dead and they're keeping her alive with machines and i think when you look at the statements um, from the palace, you can kind of see that they're potentially not lying because they're like, she's stable, which is true. Her condition hasn't got worse. <laughs> she's not getting worse. She's not getting better. She's definitely stable. It's definitely stable. Uh, they acknowledge that she hasn't regained consciousness since it happened, um, which we believe is true. And they acknowledge that there are machines working on all of her major organs. So they aren't saying she's dead, but even if you look at the official royal statements, they seem to actually back up what the the, the sort of rogue journalists are saying. I, I think there's always a risk. We talk a lot about like corruption and things in the Thai monarchy or in the Jordanian monarchy and or Saudi Arabia or whoever. And I don't want to fall into that trap of like othering monarchies that are not in Europe um yeah I, I mean I do think it's if, if we went into the complexities of it there, there is a different situation but I think there's sometimes where it's like a royal family in Europe will do something corrupt and it doesn't get very much attention but when it happens in like the Middle East or in Asia it's like oh my goodness this is a terrible corrupt royal family and so I was thinking about like the similarities to Diana I mean that was fairly chaotic the response to Diana's death they weren't really prepared and I actually think in a way this situation is more complex because with Diana, at least they had what the Americans call closure. Um, like they knew she was dead. Whereas, I mean, I have personal experience of somebody having a stroke, which is a, a fairly, fairly similar thing, um, or like something like a stroke or a brain aneurysm or a heart attack that can be very sudden. And they're not dead they're not themselves either they're in a coma or they've lost their brain function and they can't take care of themselves they've lost all their memory you know but it's really difficult to get rid of that kind of hope for a miracle 
um, that they might, you know, they're technically still alive. So maybe they'll be the one who recovers and, and everything will be okay. As much as I think she's not an ordinary person and the monarchy are not ordinary families, I do kind of, I understand why grief might play a part in them not, not really prioritizing public statements, you know, on one level, on a human level, I understand why they might be finding it difficult to let go of the idea that she is not alive anymore. When you hear those kind of famous cases of children who are dead, essentially, and their parents are battling courts to keep them alive, that tends to be brainstem death. The reason why those sort of arguments become so big and emotional is because you could go in and it would be like sitting next to a living person, just one that's, you know, in a coma except because their brains are dead they're not they're not alive so you know I think it is it it's one of those like you said it's a really weird situation where the kind of the logical side of people's brains is like well brainstem death equals death um but also you know going into a room where someone's you know on machines but they're still warm and they're breathing and they might you know make noises that's going to be like but but they're right there, they're, they're alive. They don't, you know, there's not a massive physical change. We're in a weird, in a weird way, there haven't been that many major royals in the last, or in my lifetime that have had this kind of a big life-changing um, health issue. Not at 44 either. Yeah, I remember that period between, between the Queen's sort of announcement that she was ill and the announcement of death but like oh she's had a stroke like what would they do would they like will they announce it or will she be will she recover will she not and then you know she just died of old age but it's that kind of thing that there hasn't been a situation quite like this and particularly like you said to someone so young for a very long time so even if you know the Thai government were going to look to other families to see what was happening there's not really another similar situation they could use to be like well in this situation, they held off for three days and then announced it. It's all a bit unknown circumstances. Yeah, definitely. And I've, I've read that um, the doctors like worked on her for hours and hours, even though there was they knew there was no chance because they were scared of being the ones who had to tell the king that his daughter had died. And I think that reflects another element of it, of like the king has gone through his entire life pretty much. In, in more so than any other royal family or most other royal families, getting everything that he wants and being told that everything he wants is true. And in a way, I feel like it, it might be really, really difficult for him to just wrap his head around the idea that this is something that he cannot control. And it's quite possible that people are telling him, oh, no, no, it's fine. We'll keep her alive with machines. But, you know, um, she could still wake up, you know, and are lying to him because they don't want to be the one who tells him and, and get their head cut off or get put in prison. I can understand why you might be, he might still be in denial himself. And I'm trying to be sympathetic towards that um, and kind of just recognize that wh whatever we think about the, the king of Thailand, by all accounts, he loved her, his daughter. And this is will be very, very difficult. And as much as, you know, Royal families, we've talked about this in so many episodes, royal families do have to be a bit more transparent than the average family would be. But I can understand why somebody's priority would not be, let's get a public statement out there right now when they are dealing with a very complicated and distressing situation. I think the thing is, 
I don't think that their actions are entirely motivated by grief. No, I think there are probably two real strands of political thought behind this. One which is far juicier than the other that I imagine is going to take up the predominance of this episode. Um, But one of them is the fact that, and as we have spoken about before, the kind of uh, occasional anti-monarchy demonstrations in Thailand. Um, And next year there is an upcoming election in Thailand. Um, So I can understand on a really simple level why not wanting to cause a massive um, uncertainty about the monarchy, which links very heavily to our other sort of strand of politics. They might want to kind of keep it hushed, hushed up until the election at least has happened. And in my head, assuming the press are right, I imagine that will be the point where they make it when they make it formal. I don't know if that's true, but that is what I if I was in charge of Thailand, that's what I'd do. I was a despot. Um <laughs> yeah, I think you're you're definitely right. And there's also the fact that it happened in mid-December, um, which is right before New Year's celebrations. And New Year's celebrations in Thailand are massive and they are um they bring in tons of tourists, but they're also really fun and you know they're a highlight of the calendar for the average member of Thai society after a couple of years of covid kind of cancelling Thai Thai new year celebrations people are frustrated and also a lot of people will have lost out on a lot of money because that's a big time for tourism and so there's an idea that um if they'd announced it before new years that she died Thai mourning is a really long elaborate thing and everybody in the country is expected to grind to a halt and um, pay attention to the royal family and so they were worried that if they had to significantly downplay or even cancel new year's celebrations after multiple years of covid cancelling it that they would risk a backlash and they by keeping her alive artificially they could prolong a sense of sympathy rather than risking a backlash from people which I mean that's not a good reason it's weird because like economically it's a great reason and I mean things should serve their countries so technically but also um in terms of the fact that Barr is a person not the most heartfelt and you know paternal reason no it's a bit cruel it feels like it's using somebody's death as like a pawn um which again I think that other royal families probably have done that, you know, but I don't think that they've gone to the extent of artificially keeping somebody alive for over a month now uh, in order to potentially make themselves look good. Like that's that's pretty cruel to a real human being. It's not allowing her to die with dignity. It's kind of it's just it's just gross. <laughs> From, no, there's no sophisticated way of saying it. That's what it is. And I think that's the point, like, it's been so long now, like, so long past New Year. Um, they, it's kind of like, they're, they're going to choose when when to announce it. They're going to choose her death to benefit them. And um, that doesn't quite, I mean, it doesn't quite sit right. Because she, and by all, you know, as far as we know, and as far as we've seen, um, the King of Thailand and Bar were very close. They, she was his first child. She's very close, you know, to the Thai people. She worked for the United Nations. Like she's, she was fairly well liked and respected in her country and by her family. 
Um, so to to suddenly, even if you know she has, they even if they've not quite come to terms with the fact she's dead yet, and they're in grief and denial, at some point they're going to have to make that decision, and it will. I mean, I I don't think I would do it, but I probably. But if I was in that situation, after a point, you kind of go like, well, when's when's the best time to do this for me? And that's the part that feels feels wrong and feels icky. But I think the other main issue, the, the juicier one, is that Pa's death kicks off a succession crisis, which I love a succession crisis. Yeah. It's a massive succession crisis as well. Massive one, yeah. Even on the real tiny little ones. <laughs> no. So I I find this really fascinating. I don't know if anybody else does. Hopefully you do and you're and you're still with us. But um the so in Thailand, the king of Thailand can name his heir. There is a line of succession um, that only kicks in if the king dies without naming an heir. Uh, the current king of Thailand has not named an heir, but everybody in the know believed that it would be Pa in some way or another. So um, the king has a son uh, and the younger brother of Pa, and uh, he would normally have been the heir and people would have expected him to be announced as the heir but he is again the palace has not been very forthcoming but it's believed that he has autism and I should say a disclaimer here that I don't think autism excludes you from being a good monarch or being a monarch at all um it's a very varied uh thing the way it presents is different for every person I've known loads of autistic people in my lifetime and some would be perfect at being a monarch and some would be absolutely terrible as with most people um uh, it's believed that either his condition is presents in a way that would make it very difficult for him to be monarch, or maybe there's cultural attitudes in, Th- in Thailand that are different. I honestly don't know. But for whatever reason, it's believed that he would not be able to take the throne on his own. So either Pa would be named would have been named queen, or she would have been his regent and he would have been the king, but she would have done the actual work. Because, you know, as Grace said, she's popular, she's highly accomplished. And actually, she's the most sort of royal of all of the kids because her mother was related to the late queen, uh, the the current king's mother. She is the best can or was the best candidate. And um, with her gone, she's obviously no longer a candidate. The, the uh, Thai royal family's in a really unique situation where they've had children who have been illegitimate and have later on been legitimized and exiled because the king's had four wives he has one at the moment he's had three in the past and he has a concubine who is an official consort and has been on and off um and you have his his two you know the two kind of children that he's sort of kept with him so Ba, who like we said was 44 and her younger brother, who is only 17, 18 now, so he's still very young. Um, and obviously in between them, he had a selection of other children with his second wife. Um, and that marriage did not end happily. The King of Thailand has seven children. Um, and so you think that amongst those seven people, they'd be able to find one person, but one is dead, potentially, maybe, we don't know, but probably. One has a medical condition, which means that he is unlikely to be able to take the throne at all. Uh, And then he has five other children and they all came from the same mother and they were all born out of wedlock. 
um, she was his mistress at the time. He then went on and married her and they were all elevated. But that obviously puts an immediate kind of, oh, um, somebody could challenge that and say they're not legitimate if they wanted to because they were born out of wedlock and then sort of retroactively made prince and princess. Um, and the that marriage the, to their mother um, ended very, very badly. I won't go into detail about it, but it ended very badly. And she fled Thailand with her five children, four sons and a daughter. And the king kidnapped the daughter, Siri Vanavari, and took her back to Thailand. So she is living in Thailand. She is the only other one who's left over who could potentially do this job. Um, but she's extremely unpopular. As I've already mentioned, she has a weak claim because she was born out of wedlock to a commoner and then elevated later on. And she hasn't been prepared for the role in any way. And she's in her late 30s now. So that would be quite, or she's in her 30s anyway. So that would be quite, um, quite a big deal. Um, but her four brothers remain in exile in the United States with no royal status. That was something that was done deliberately to um, uh, damage their claim. That's why he took the daughter and not the sons was because he didn't want any of the sons to be able to inherit. But it didn't matter if it was a daughter because who cares about the girls? Um, and so... They're in a situation where even though he has seven children um, with Pa's death, he essentially has one candidate left over who is extremely, extremely unpopular and um, has a very weak claim that could be easily challenged by, I don't know, a military dictatorship who wants to take full control and get rid of the monarchy. Yeah, and, you know, the Thai monarchy isn't the most stable whether it's from said military dictatorship or from the people of Thailand who in the last few years have had a fair number of um, anti-royal protests and marches. King, the late king, no, the king's late father um, was fairly well respected. And if it had been him who had the succession crisis, I think it would have been a different state of affairs because he probably would have been able to name an heir and it would have still happened quite smoothly. It would have been, you know, the obvious discussions about it not being, you know, the the blood relative and the nearest line of succession. But I think it would have uh, been accepted far more readily than it would be if, you know, in this circumstance where the current king isn't respected, he isn't, you know, beloved by his people, he hasn't got the power behind the throne. The power is pretty much all in the military. Um, and also he has a very, very small pool of candidates to choose from to find an heir because the Thai royal family is very, very small. I mean, the problem is really quite deep because the every generation you go back in the Thai royal family, basically, everybody either is ineligible to succeed so there's things in the line in the the law that say like if you marry a foreigner you're not allowed to succeed to the throne and you're not allowed to be in the line of succession um so there's a lot of people who are completely ineligible or there's a lot of people who didn't marry or who did marry but then didn't have any children so actually the Thai royal family with this death I mean this is not a new situation but it's opened up the fact that they are running out of people very very quickly you actually to, in order to get to the next person in line after the current king who has like legitimacy and is in the line of succession and has potentially an heir that could succeed you have to go to like the king's second cousin 
which would be like if Charles over here died and the next person to inherit was the Earl of Ulster, who no one even knows who that is. <laughs> Poor Earl of Ulster, sitting there waiting for the throne. He could punch me in the face and I wouldn't know who he is. And I write about royals, I blog about royals and have done for a decade. And I know who he is in the line of succession, but I do not know what he even looks like. I don't know, any, I don't, nothing. So it's, it's in a really strange, it's very, it's not just that this has opened up the fact that he doesn't have any children who could potentially take the role and be good at it and be popular, but no one has. And it's kind of opened the door to this discussion, really, because even if the news reports are wrong and Bart is fine and she wakes up and everything is fine, she's 44 and doesn't have any children and is probably, she's not married, so it it seems fairly unlikely that she's going to have children in the near future. Even if Bar was fine, they were still going to sort of run into this issue fairly quickly. You know, if you just like go down the sort of the king's sisters, he has three sisters. One has no children. One has two children, both of whom are around the same age as Bar and Siri and have no children themselves. Um, And his other sister married an American. So all of her children are completely cut off immediately. There just isn't. I mean, you could pull one of these poor American great grand nephews of the king to be the next monarch if they wanted, but he doesn't, he's not in the line of session, they have to legitimise them. The current main theory as to what might happen is that one of the four sons who are exiled to America will be magically rehabilitated and will be made heir to the throne. And I think that out of the four, two or three of them either married an American and so are excluded or... um, have shown no interest in it whatsoever but there is one son I think the oldest potentially who is um who is a lawyer uh is very intelligent and has shown openness towards come he's not married to anyone as far as I know and he's shown openness to coming back to Thailand and coming king which would be huge because they were exiled literally to prevent them from having a claim to the throne if they brought him back i mean the pr campaign would it's always brutal in thailand but it would have to be really really brutal because they basically just have to tell an entire country oh no you you remembered it wrong we didn't exile him he just went to america voluntarily and now he's shown how great he is and how much he loves thailand and so we're bringing him back and it's definitely not got anything to do with the fact we've not got anyone else it's no why would you say that but also like he has he's american really uh he might i'm sure he has strong connections to thailand and i'm sure that he still loves his country and all those things but he's always lived in america he was exiled um and i don't know culturally how how i mean it would be it's difficult enough for an american to be a, a british royal as we've seen that because of the cultural differences so i just wonder about how well accepted he'd be or how difficult it would be and whether it would potentially open up the need for even more crackdowns on free speech which is obviously concerning yeah and i wonder if it would cause i don't say cause issues with siri but they're they're full siblings they're you know they share the same mother and father and they've led that sort of vastly different life because as we know siri was kidnapped back to thailand by her sort of father's family um and has lived there ever since um, as far as we know, she's not gone to visit her mother very much because she's in exile. Um, whereas 
for her brothers it's the other way around they've lived with their mother and haven't seen their father all that time so I could see you know from a serious point of view the argument being like hang on I've lived in Thailand you know yeah. a lot of my life I'm 35 you know I've done all this I know more about the Thai royal family than he does and if I've got a shaky claim to the throne he's got a shaky claim to the throne so I imagine it could cause a situation where you would end up with not just people saying he shouldn't be the monarch, but also people saying, well, if we're going to have one of these illegitimate children, let's have the one who's been here the whole time, which kind of opens up even more controversy. Well, yeah, I think that's an important thing to remember is, is that th- the Thai monarchy is very factional. Um, and again, it's probably very similar in other families too. It's not a unique to Thailand thing, but um, there are like, so the king has a wife, but he also has an official concubine. And uh, there are people within the palace who are team queen and team concubine and are pressuring the king to make certain decisions based on who they prefer. And allegedly, I should say, um, the king of Thailand's sister, who is very popular, said um, that she wanted she thought it was inappropriate for him to be taking his concubine to all of these official events and not his queen, his wife. uh, And he broke her ankles. Uh, so, you know, I think um, a succession crisis where there's different people who are getting behind different camps could completely split the monarchy's inner circle. And I think that that would, if I was a military dictator, I would view that as a very good opportunity to step in and make them essentially have even less power um, because they're weakened. Yeah, it's it's a really weird situation because when we had our cones of power episode and we spoke about these kind of different monarchies and the amount of power they had and we went we said thailand was a very unique situation because essentially they've got no power Mm -hmm. but they act almost like and they rule as if they are absolute monarchs yeah because they have so much control over the press and you know what things do happen in the country and how they're presented and wealth but all the powers with the military um, and the last thing, um, any royal family, but particularly one that is in a situation where they have no power and are dependent on someone else, like a military dictatorship, is for them not to be a united front. Yeah. And I think, you know, royal royal history is very fascinating, but at any point where you have these kind of multiple camps of people, yeah, it's ended not very well for anyone involved. That's what we think will happen in Thailand. That's what the rumours have been, anyway, that they'll do to resolve the situation. But we thought that we could look at what some other countries have done when they've been faced with succession crises crises, um, or when they've had a vacuum in the throne, basically. So the most recent succession crisis that I can think of is Japan. They kind of managed to avert their crisis, but not really. And so their situation was that because only men can inherit the throne in Japan, uh, they basically, no one was having boys. Which is always a you know major issue in terms of royal succession. Yeah. Tends, tends to come up a bit. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, they, they, everyone who had a baby had had girls and going back generations. And so there was essentially like no one who could take the throne. The, I think the next person was like 98 or something and had no kids. So there was nobody who could uh, take on the throne. Their crisis was averted because there was a sudden surprise 
birth of a baby boy by the current emperor's younger brother. At the time, it was the emperor's uh, son, because it was the last emperor. Um, that only really pushes the problem back by a generation, because they've now got one boy. And if he doesn't have a boy, then they're, they're going to be screwed in a few decades. Uh, but before that birth, there were some discussions about um, what they could do. It was it was a really weird situation because the Japanese imperial family are again in quite a unique situation where they are very heavily controlled by the traditions of their family and the people around them have a lot of power. So not necessarily politicians or the military, but the kind of courtiers and palace staff are um, their job essentially is to uphold these centuries old traditions if sometimes that is at the expense of the family themselves um, so you ended up in a situation where until this miraculous birth happened um, there was the chance of the family dying out within that generation essentially the family themselves couldn't choose to make the, a decision to change that they kind of had to rely on other people to start making these decisions yeah definitely so one of the suggestions that people came up with was that they change the rules to allow women to be in a line of succession and the idea was never equal primogeniture the idea was always if there's no men we'll go to the women if we have to um but that was something that was being discussed but um they they have no control over the matter, and there was there was a real real reluctance towards allowing women to to have any succession rights in Japan. But it was one possibility that was that was floated for a while. Yeah, it's it's a weird situation. Like if you try and compare it, like I always think, like if Peter Phillips had been in William's position, like the and it, they were following the sort of Japanese family, like. You'd have you'd run through all of his children who were all girls. They'd skip over Zara and you know her children. And it it's a really long loop for most families when you get the kind of bunches of girls together. And it would be bizarre if you said, you know, to most people these days, like, oh, we're just gonna skip the girls. And people go, Oh, no, that's not fair, that's not right. But and we mentioned in our Cones of Power episode that there is that kind of even in those countries where they're like, no girls, they kind of have a unless we really 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 have to um and it's it's I don't say like but it's going to be really fascinating because the the Japanese imperial family is one of the you know I think it might be the oldest continuous royal family um but there is a very high likelihood that the emperor uh, the emperor's nephew will be the last one they have because they've all the others the brothers the uncles they've all aged to being essentially impractical or have died so you kind of end up and they're in the situation as well the very unique one where when the women marry a commoner which they all tend to do now there is really a Japanese aristocracy it's not aristocracy they have to marry a member of their their own family <laughs> yes um so then they they leave the family so it's not even like there are nephews that are in the group because everyone else is a girl so all of their children go up outside of the family um so it's a it's a really um tricky situation to kind of balance in a way that there isn't really one that's quite that specifically unique in any other country yeah definitely and I think you know you mentioned that it's a very old royal family and so 
they have a they do actually have a lot of people it's just that a few years ago they kind of cut off a bunch of branches and gave them no succession rights for various reasons that i won't get into but um one of the other suggestions that came up was well why don't we reinstate some of those branches that are technically have royal blood they are descendants of emperors but they are cut off at the moment from the line of succession and they might have some more men who we can bring in um and that's i think that's kind of similar to what has been suggested in thailand really which was like taking um people who had been excluded for some reason but do have royal lineage and then kind of adding them back in so that was something that was suggested at one point that might happen yeah and it it makes sense in a way because the the argument about royal succession has always been through the blood um the the so-called blue blood um so if you've got those blue-blooded people out there and you just kick them out for some reason if you're gonna keep you know being like well it has to be this lineage of people they are the obvious choice to kind of bring back into the fold because they have a claim they are descendants and people use you know there is the descendants the heir rule happens for everyone in the world like you know it's not just a royal thing so people understand it um very easily whereas um the kind of choosing a random a random japanese citizen to be the next uh, monarch probably wouldn't go down quite so well uh my favorite suggestion was a very left field one that i think came from one of the elder members of the family um like a great uncle of somebody i can't remember who exactly but his suggestion was that the emperor take a concubine <laughs> um and have children through the co- concubine <laughs> oh dear just for the best really yeah and um i mean in thailand the king has an official concubine um and so if he had a baby with her then theoretically if that was a boy then theoretically they could be in line but the, the there is a rumor that he has an illness if he doesn't have a child or even if he did have a child with a concubine it's possible that he might die in the next five years uh he's not very well and um then they're still in a situation where they need a regent yeah, it's weird because in some ways it's like the most sensible suggestion to happen in Thailand. Like the king just has another baby with a woman who he marries when she's pregnant and then it's a legitimate child and they can go through it. But like the whole issue in Thailand really at the moment is that there isn't a regent because there is an heir. It's just an heir who, as far as we know, does not have the capacity to rule. Um, so they need a regent and having a five-year-old king or queen is not really helping that situation in any way they need the king then to hold on for a good like 20 years and he's he's quite old yes exactly and so yeah it doesn't really it might fix the problem technically but then you i mean i can't when was the last time there was a a minority king in the in the world i thought it might be an african one like i remember researching one of these episodes and there was an African who became uh, one of the African ones, maybe Ethiopia or Kenya, who became monarch when they were about three. I mean, it's a very rare thing in the modern era because people have longer life expectancies. Um, it's a very rare thing for there to be a minor monarch. And again, it weakens the, the throne. It, it um, means that the person who is actually monarch can't rule. And so the, it's very easy to install like a puppet government or to make them completely powerless um so it does i don't know if that necessarily solves the problem it's kind of a bit late you know his his oldest child is 44 like it's quite late for him to be now having another baby to fix the issue like it doesn't really fix it 
So the next most recent crisis was Monaco, which was in the early 20th century. Uh, so Prince Louis II, he had no legitimate heirs. And so the throne would have passed to his a German cousin of his, which they didn't want. And so in 1911, he legitimized his daughter, Charlotte, who had been born out of wedlock to his mistress. Um, later on, that was held to be invalid. And then in 1918, they basically changed the rules so that the monarch could adopt an heir. And so Charlotte was kind of adopted by her own father. You know, a lot of these rules about who can succeed are very, very old and they're treated as being like really, really important. Uh, but a, if you look at a lot of the examples, it, what they've done is basically been like, well, if the law no longer works, we'll change the law. Yeah, I think, you know, and also the other big thing is they keep having children out of wedlock, which just seems really inconvenient in terms of monarch uh, monarchies. Um, but yeah, it's and it's a weird one because it felt like it was coming very close to almost happening again with with Albert the current Albert because he was 56 before he had legitimate children he had a, two illegitimate ones and there was like oh is it going to pass to one to one of his sisters but um I, th I feel like the the first world war was just a bit of a disaster for European monarchies because they all seemed to be because obviously Kaiser Wilhelm was was a royal from a royal family he was a re relative of most of them but they all had various Wilhelm German Wilhelms who caused kerfuffles for them and you know <laughs> that was one of the one of the issues with Monica was they had you know two options for kind of random distant third second or third cousins they could pick from but one of them was a German Wilhelm who was a big big fan of said Kaiser um and then the other one had kind of grown up outside of Monica and wasn't um just kind of really sort of didn't really have any kind of understanding of it and also wasn't particularly beloved by France which is was a bigger issue because France is very interested in the Monaco situation as we say. Always waiting in the wings for Monaco to crumble so that they can seize it. Um it's mine I'm ready. Yeah but I, uh, yeah I think um it was a a kind of an understandable situation that Charlotte was the best option but I, I think it's just interesting that like we build up this idea of the line of succession as being something that and, and it is now you know in law you know it's very difficult to change it it's um completely independent of the, the royals in, in most of European monarchies they don't they don't have any say over anything um but actually it's really easy to change these things in most situations. Um, and so I wonder if there is a possibility for Thailand of like, could they, I was thinking, could they change the law of marrying foreigners and that excluding you? Because if you live in Thailand and your partner lives in Thailand and your children are born in Thailand, I don't see why that should be something, you know, it's quite normal. Yeah. And I think, you know, if you look at Thailand, there are a lot of distant, but still there are far more relatives they have who were excluded because of this yes. uh, marriage to a foreign royal, uh, royal foreign citizen rule than there is, you know, legitimate people that just can't do it for another reason. So it would be, it would open up the opportunity for there to be a lot more candidates for the role. And I mean, if you think, you know, in Monaco, Charlotte married a Frenchman, which I can only assume was to please the French, that could be something a way to kind of bolster a claim from maybe you know his oldest exiled son would be to have him ma marry a thai woman 
and make that a big you know a really passionate one and have that be a real claim and be like well he was born in Thailand and he's married a Thai woman and yeah he was a tiny bit exiled but it was actually a mistake and what we really meant was he just wanted to explore the world before he settled for the rest of his life in Thailand which he loves Um, and I think that would be such a simple way because it does quieten the critics who were like he's American you'd be like ah is he really so there was a real wave of them in the 19th century um, of these sort of similar situations and one of there was a few reasons for that one of them was I mean it's not really a succession crisis as such but I've included it anyway was where there's a creation of a new country and so um, in the 19th century there was a lot of geopolitical change the Holy Roman Empire dissolved the, there was the decline of the Ottoman Empire and so a lot of countries that had been part of an empire were suddenly independent and um we talked in the last episode about Greece and about how they were a new independent country. They had no system of government. They decided to have a monarchy. And so they just picked random people, initially a Bavarian guy called Otto and then a Danish guy. Um, but there's other examples of it as well. Uh, that seemed, you know, of new countries that were created in the 19th century had no monarch. And so a group of random people just picked somebody who was from another royal family. Yeah. And I think, if you do go back through history, that's almost like the most common way they battled succession crisis was to be like, we just need to find a royal. It doesn't matter who, any old royal will do and we'll find them. Um, so it's not like there aren't ro- many royals out there who would desperately love to be a monarch and maybe aren't for a variety of reasons that they could just parachute into Thailand. Um, but it's not unheard of. It's definitely not like an impossibility. Yeah, so there's uh, another example outside of Greece is Belgium in 1831. A council of very important people chose Leopold of Saxe-Coburg and Gotha to be king of Belgium. And Leopold was German. There's a million and one German royal families. Um, So he was German, but he had been married to Princess Charlotte, who was the only child of King George IV. And so she had she died before she took the throne. But if she hadn't, then he would have been Prince Consort of the UK and he lived in the UK. And so he's kind of British German mixture. Um, and so that's another example of, you know, they didn't have a monarch, so they just picked a random guy, Leopold. And he beca- and the current royal family of Belgium is descended from Leopold. Um, so that that was a pretty common thing. I imagine it would probably be easier to do that in Europe, where a lot of the royal families are interconnected. Because you could be like, well, why can't we have Prince Fair Magnus as the King of Britain? Because he is in the line of succession, he's just very low down. Whereas in Thailand, they're probably, you know, they're not linked to the other Asian monarchies, so to speak. But I think it does show, just show how easy it is just to randomly pick someone. Since the uh, Thai royal family isn't necessarily viewed with much respect necessarily within Thailand, they could get around it by choosing a well-respected Thai person to pretend has been a distant cousin the whole time and just kind of pick a nice person to take over the throne to be like ah this is my cousin he is a royal he also happens to be your beloved tv presenter there's a couple of examples that i came up with that show how intense this can be Uh, my personal favorite is from also from the 19th century um and it was luxembourg and in 1890 luxembourg and the netherlands were both ruled by king william the third 
When he died, his daughter, Wilhelmina, took over in the Netherlands, but by law at the time, she couldn't rule in Luxembourg. They didn't allow women on the throne. And so there was a pact that was made long earlier with within the Nassau family, which is the family that reigns over or reigned over at the time. Um, and uh, it stated that if there were no male heirs in one branch of the House of Nassau, they would go over to the other branch of the House of Nassau um, and take the male heir from there, which meant that this gave us the greatest familial distance between two consecutive rulers. William III died and he was followed by his 17th cousin. I love it. If you go back and find the king of Thailand's 17th cousin, I'm sure, you know, he might be living in Thailand. It's one of these things, like, when you get random celebrities being like, I'm Kate Middleton's 14th cousin three times removed, and you're like, that's not a real relation. No, you don't know her. Everybody's each other's 14th cousin, you know, like, I mean, he was a royal, but it, it does show the sort of the extent to which they will push the idea of a blood royal if they need to they will go to the 17th cousin um and i i think the other example i had was in sweden um so the house of, also 19th century um the house of bernadotte took the throne in 1818 at the time the king of sweden had no children he was 61 so he was not going to have any more children probably and um the initial person he adopted died um and inconvenient inconvenient at the time sweden wanted to be close to napoleon because he was very powerful and so they basically it was like one random guy in sweden it wasn't even like an official delegation of people one random guy in sweden asked jean bernadotte who was a high-ranking french soldier for napoleon if he would do it they initially people were like what you just offered this to be king to a random person uh we didn't agree to this but then they started to come around to the idea because he was a soldier and they thought, you know, looming war, um, it would be good to have a soldier. He's close to Napoleon. And he'd also had some contact with the Swedish people in the past that had meant that he was quite well liked. Um, and so he was made the heir and he was literally just a random French dude who had been a revolutionary and fought against monarchies for a very long time. Um, and so, you know, we've got an example of of them picking sort of their illegitimate children we've got example and making them legitimate we've got examples of somebody going as far as picking their 17th cousin to be the person who inherits after them and we've got an example of literally somebody with absolutely no royal blood whatsoever being picked just because they seemed convenient and so the 19th century obviously it's very different from now in terms of cultural norms and things but i think the sheer number of times where this happened and the different ways people uh, sort of approached it and found a randomer who could do it um, shows that monarchies really want to continue to exist. And they will pick, they will find somebody, even if it's not like the son of a monarch, they will find their 17th cousin or they will legitimize somebody who used to be um, royal and is now not, or they'll change the law. You know, they, and if needed, they'll pick a random person in the military and make him um, king of Thailand. So monarchies endure, I guess. And the 19th century shows that they they will do lots of things to kind of be willing, you know, to kind of keep hold of that power. They will think very laterally about the idea of blood royals. Yeah, and I think, you know, it's not unheard of for a monarchy to push one um, idea for succession literally to the final moment and then have to swap because there literally is no other choice yeah um like not to bring up the Tudors (laughs) yeah to bring up the Tudors you know it like 
Henry VIII very famously wanted a son and then he got his son who then died when he was 15 and left them in exactly the same situation and then like the entire point of the reformation was based around you know in the UK was very much based around the next heir being a son and having a son and then the two or three people that immediately followed Edward was Lady Jane Grey, Mary the first and then Elizabeth the first and none of whom are men they're all women um Lady Jane Grey is not even a royal she was just a random person oh justice for Lady Jane Grey Lady Jane Grey my favorite royal um you know she was a a young girl randomly selected so I mean not to go all the Tudors in this uh, modern era but but I think you know there's this like there was this real pushed for there to be only um male heirs and then on top of that there was also the push for it to be a protestant heir because you know they had a minor minor hiccup with the catholics at the time minor issues um and they essentially were like best way to get around this let's pick this teenage girl who happens to be a protestant and is the distant relative and then when that didn't work out rather than going to you know it didn't work out because the people rallied around a woman who was a catholic and was everything that they shouldn't have rallied around at that point if you were following the traditional lines of succession and then when she died they went the exact opposite way again because they were just following the bloodline they were following a bloodline and then obviously when you know elizabeth died and they ran out of tudors her successor was you know james the first slash sixth who was, well, in his own way, a distant cousin, you know, the son of Mary, Queen of Scots, the um, uh, an heir via Henry VII in the same way. But there were all these, you know, from Edward to Jane to Mary to Elizabeth to James, there were continuous cases of infighting and um, people who were claiming the throne because they did have a claim to it in a weird, bizarre way. Um, but in if you went back to literally Henry VIII's entire life's work, it was to exclude all of them from being on the throne. And as soon as he died, it didn't matter anymore. And if, you know, Thailand's not exactly the same position as Tudor England, <laughs> I think there's definitely an element of when the, the reigning monarch or current monarch or current kind of guard die out, there's nothing to say that they won't just be like, actually, I've heard that this person can be king now, so... Yeah, I, what I find really interesting, I feel like we talked about this in our LGBTQ plus episode, is that I actually think in the modern era, possibly because all of these things are governed by very strict laws and sometimes they're in the constitution of a country, we seem to actually have more of an obsession with royal blood and royal descent and all the, you know, legitimacy and all those things than at any point in history. Yeah, I think definitely in the past there was a case of them being like, oh, I don't like my oldest son, I'm going to pick my second son or my brother or my cousin. Particularly if you go back to like old England, like kind of Ethelred the Unready, they were all, always picking random brothers and cousins. And Lovely know, name dropping of Ethelred. <laughs> drop Ethelred in. Um, and then, you know, there was this massive period of time, kind of from like the 10 hundreds onward, where they were just only they were you know monarchs were chosen via war yeah you know and it was whoever won a battle was the king or you know so 
it wasn't really until you got later on when they were like, it has to be my eldest firstborn son who is this specific religion and it only passes to his sons and maybe his daughters if you're really desperate, but they have to fit all of these rules. Um, and I can see I can see why. And also it kind of has come along with royals having slightly less power to stop them just picking their friends. Yeah, I think I understand why it happened because there were lots of wars and like if you've got multiple siblings, then the younger one might <laughs> might decide that he's the one who should be the king and might launch, you know, in the modern era, it's probably not going to be a war, um, but they might try to undermine the one who is in line. You know, that could happen. Um, and Thailand is one of those countries. It's, I mean, it's similar when we talked about Jordan in our episode. Um, uh, I think there is that, there is a line of succession, but there is also the freedom for the monarch to be able to set their heir. And that always makes things more complicated because that automatically leads to fighting and ambig ambiguity. Yeah, and I think they've almost got themselves, not just them, but monarchies in general, have got themselves in a weird position where because they seem so... Um, irregular to have in a modern democratic society there's always that risk of someone being like well it would make sense to just make these logical changes like to allow adopted children or you know to then open up the floor to hang on let's just not have one so I think they're in a situation where there are lots of sense you know changes that monarchies could make and in Thailand I think like I said, they're in such a precarious position. There are lots of changes they could make that would make this a lot easier by you know, changing the rules or saying, you know, like, you can marry a foreign person and it's not an issue. Or my exiled children aren't exiled anymore, you know, or I can adopt someone and it's all fine. Then suddenly people can start going, hang on, if you can just change the rules this quickly, then what's even the point of having this long, continuous run of people in charge, which is the kind of point of a monarchy? If you looked at lots of examples, I don't think that the Thailand is going to choose a random German person to be king. As much as the king of Thailand currently is a big fan of Germany, I just don't think that's going to happen. Um, I do think they're more likely to go down the route of like Monaco or even what Japan considered doing before they actually um, dropped it all and kind of making the law work for them. So rehabilitating someone who had earlier been considered illegitimate or changing the eligibility criteria to allow uh, people who've married somebody from overseas. I think that's probably the more likely route that they're going to go down. But it is just, you know, it's surprising that one person's death, potentially, probably, um, not officially, though, could, um, could have opened up this whole discussion that, you know, really is about the existence of the Thai monarchy and whether or not it can or will continue. So thank you everybody for joining us for this week's episode. We hope that you enjoyed it. It was really enjoyable for me to get to do a bit of a deep dive into Thailand because I find them absolutely fascinating. Uh, but other than that, it is goodbye from me. And goodbye from me. 